We want better schools. We want them now. Stand in our way, and you'll catch these eight black hands with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. Join us now for an hour or more of talk on education and culture. Yo, I never really vibed out to our intro music, yo. That shit is kind of dope, bro. Like, yo, the, uh, the super producer kind of hooked us up, man. We looking good. We looking professional. We looking good. We sounding good. Yeah, you you know, late, but yeah, that's, that's <laughs> it's been that way for a while, bro. But okay, no, I, I, I know that. But like, I, I just have some, some folks' gratitude just comes a little later. It's, it's all good. Thank you. they have it also. What, what if either one of you said thank you to that dude in the back that I uh, heard a lot? <laughs> Maybe wait a bit, wait a bit. You got to be the witness now. It, does, it happened unless Ray Ray witnessed it. Oh, if a black man don't, 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 if a black man apologizes in the woods, did it really happen? Yeah. 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 You know, I, hey, hey, it is what it is, bro. I'm not gonna let y'all uh, kill my spirits. I got this. I got essential, bro. You essential. I got dissertation chair to kill my spirits. I'm not gonna let y'all do it. <laughs> All right. So, uh, looping back in, fellas, how y'all doing? Let's 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 uh let's do a, a roundabout before we bring our guests on. Doing well, man. Doing well. Um, excited to be here. Love our guests. You know, he's just been doing some mad work over over the years. Um, Freedom schools ended Friday. Um, just really, you know, glad to see the the youth. You know, youth being the scholars, the high school students, the college students. Um, but they 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 showed up, man. My 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 kids are upset that it's over. But we're mm. like, it's all right, you know, it's all right. Like, I that's how you know it was teaching. good. That's how you know it was good. Yeah, they're upset. They're yeah, upset. when they're upset, it's over. Yeah, no, that's dope. Proud of you, Reef. Uh, we need to make this thing go nationwide and probably needs to go year round as well. But we can talk about that because we're going to use your uh, your freedom schools as an example of uh, what kind of schools. Chris, what's up with you, man? Again, congrats. Second week in a row. Congrats. We're not going to never stop celebrating you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, hey, I really connect do. Connect us with your professor, bro. You might you might have to bring him on as a guest one of these days. You know like, the what professor. Are your professors? Your you know one of them. You know yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Dr. H- uh, Ruka T. Williams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was a cub like you were a cub. Uh, uh, dope brother. Very dope. Expanded my mind. I heard Ray talk about just a minute ago about he's got a dissertation chair to ruin his spirits. I particularly picked my advisor because I knew that he was going to up the ante on my scholarship. I knew that like I had had an easier role to hoe a little bit before him. So in choosing him, I, but when I was in the middle of it, I wasn't loving it. So anyways, I got through it. I got all done. I understand what rigor looks like more than I did before. I'm feeling good. We're losing people in the family, our national family. We have people in our ed, ed activism networks who are losing people. Um, and uh, just prayers out to families that are suffering uh, the loss and the grief of a very sick world that is broken spiritually broken uh and and not appearing to to heal anytime soon so um so i think it's good to do both things to count your blessings and uh, to say i woke up this morning with shelter and food and water and all that and at the same time to acknowledge that the world is broken and we're losing people and we have perp- we have people around us with grief and suffering that we should attend to Mm. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, man. Thanks for mentioning that. Um, prayers up to uh, 
Well, I'm gonna be specific. Prayers up to uh, to, to Sarah, Sarah Carpenter, man. She's she's a, a definite uh, fan and, and colleague of ours. Uh, she lost her grandson. Um, there's a GoFundMe going around, so if you guys want to uh, contribute, I'm sure at some point somebody can put it in the chat uh, so that you can help out. And then also our brother, our brother, man, uh, Charles. Charles lost somebody uh, really close to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. Okay. Uh, Again, yeah. So like, it's been like massive loss in terms of just just our inner families, right? And so, uh, definitely want to lift those people up in prayer. I was gonna actually do a prayer. I was gonna be like, yo, bow our heads and let's let's get a prayer in. But I ain't want to offend Reef. So, um, <laughs> pray, praying never offends me, brother. I feel like you know what? I'm always in a state of prayer. So. Appreciate you, um, Reed. Yeah. All right, so so our guest though, Emory Edwards, is the senior outreach director for Ed Choice, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization driven to advance K twelve educational systems, uh, where all parents, regardless of race, origin, or family income, are free to choose a learning environment that works best for them. A creative strategist by nature, Emory uses twenty years plus experience of marketing and event planning to inform and build partnerships with the community. But beyond just reading from the script, yo, M is hella dope. If you're doing anything in uh in school choice or ed choice or whatever, like he probably has his hands in it in some kind of way or the other. Doesn't really want the credit for it, so he kind of plays the scene, the back scene or whatever. Very humble dude. And uh I'm I'm am grateful to uh to be able to call this guy a friend. So uh uh let's welcome uh Emery Edwards to the to the show. Hey man, love that shirt. Yeah, what you got there? Gordon, Frederick, and who? Malcolm, Booker, and Langston. All right, I like that lineup. Had to bring it out for you. Yeah, wow, that's a lineup, bro. Hey, Reef, pay close attention to M's setup. Right? I'm looking. (laughs) Look at my setup. What's wrong with my setup? I got the water. I got Bray, bro. I'm just gonna tell you, this ain't the week for you to talk, homie. <laughs> hey, listen, I got. Hey, I got. You, something. you look like you in the opening scene in the Matrix, just meeting the agents for the first time, bro. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> you got the flood lighting on, so hey, don't worry. I got. Yeah. I got. Um, I no, got. That's dope, that's, it is that's dope. undope, essential dad, but that's dope. Man. <laughs> yeah, I, I still do a lot of design work on the side, so mm. I, I got to make sure I have a space that pushes me creatively and kind of helps center me. So yeah, I see them swords up there. So oh wow, so so M, I man, talk to us about the work you do, man. Like just uh, introduce the, the folks to like the types of things that you're doing and and things to look out for. So uh, really a lot of the work that I do is just trying to authentically connect with the community and inform them about educational choice, um, helping them understand that we truly can have the power and opportunity to pick what school is best for us, um, trying to help them understand the policy aspects of that world. And, you know, for some parents, it's just giving them hope. Um, that's really what it comes down to. You know, I've had a lot of conversations over the past six years where, I'll talk to a mom that, you know, tells me like, you know, hey, I never realized that I had an option to send my kid to a different school. So whether it was a charter, um, whether it was a private school with a voucher or even just going to a to a different traditional school with, you know, inner district transfers, just letting parents understand that, hey, you had these options out here and here's, you know, how we can truly take advantage of them. Yeah, that's dope. Man, so we again, we appreciate you and we appreciate the work you do. So a central question, and Chris, we'll start with you, sir. Uh, and 
How can these schools be more welcoming to fathers, man? I put on my essential dad shirt for a reason today, right? Because I feel like fathers are like absent. And I know you drive this narrative home in terms of like, you know, us being invisible. Uh, how can we make these things more visible? How can we make ourselves more visible? How can schools be more embracing of fathers? Yeah, I think everybody here would agree in all the work that we've ever done that re- relationships matter in almost any line of work that you're in. Uh, Emery's one of the rare people on this call who's been in both like ed reform world and sales, has done uh, uh, worked with the public and in sales. And relationships matter in every line of work, but in education, it's doubly so. And if you want uh, black men and black fathers participating, there's a way to relate to us. There's an invitation, uh, uh, unceasing invitation to us on a regular basis. There's ways you build community, (laughs) excuse me, community around uh, things that you want done. So sometimes like schools don't know what to do with volunteers. I'll just put it that way, too. I've been invited to things and get there and understand that they have no idea what they want to do with me once I'm there. And it'd be nice like men. I I don't want to generalize. But oftentimes we like something specific to be happening. Right. So like if you invite me in. Give me something specific that we can work on or that we could do or that we could talk about. And you'll probably pique my interest and I'll probably stick around uh, longer. But the one thing that you have to do, and I don't know how you do this. I'll ask the rest of you, especially you all with with the experience with schools is you can't feminize everything in education. And I don't think you all understand the extent to which sometimes we show up as men and we're in like another world. We're on another planet because it's so feminized what y'all got going on sometimes it's not for us by us so i don't know what you do about that i really don't but i do know give us something specific invite us for one stay connected to us uh on a regular basis look for specific things for us to help with right like problems or something that we can work on and i you know i don't know what to say about that last part that i just said because it's going to come across wrong that is so feminized, but I don't know what y'all do about that. I mean, I've been in rooms before where we've been invited as parents and I'm one of two males in a room full of women, right? And I'm just like, little feeling a little bit out of place in those situations. I wish you would have done your planning better. Well, that definitely came off wrong. And so (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what to say to you, bro, because if I'm thinking it, other people are thinking it too. I can't be the only one thinking it, you know? So so I'm going to disavow from uh, everything that Chris just said, and I'm going to throw it to Reef. Reef, as a a former school leader and as someone that's connected connected with the community, bro, like, what kind of things were you doing to bring dads in? Because, like, I I know a mastery, you guys, it's it's not a gender thing. Everybody, all the parents are coming. So what are you guys doing? Yeah, you know, and it was funny. I was... was, uh, you know, when Chris said that, I was just wondering, like, huh, like, I wonder what are some of the things, like, how fathers may have have felt. But I, I think, you know, one, you know, the piece that you talked about relationships, I think, you know, um, is vital. Um, the intentionality, right? I, I think, one, there was a, a mindset that they are welcome, right? Like, when he talks about invisible invisibility, he's, you know, Chris isn't just talking about, like, oh, they're invisible. They're they're being marginalized, right? They're being erased. They're they're being told that they're not there when the narrative is opposite. So I think some of it was our mindset. Like we didn't, there wasn't an assumption that, that fathers, and these are, we're talking about black and brown men, um, you know, 99%. Uh, we, there was no assumption that they were only going to come to the football games or basketball games. Like they, that would never cross our minds. Like the assumption was they're going to be a part of it. 
I think on the flip side of that, as a school leader, we had a a, a number of men in the school as well, mm-hmm. um, much mm-hmm. higher than the percentage. Uh, you know, I think that that one uh, when Ed Trust was looking at it, I want to say thirty something percent of our teachers were were men, and so I think that you know, may have <laughs> mitigated what Chris may feel uh, when he goes to schools. Like there were, you know, there was some level of, um, you know, balance, I, I think, you know. Um, I'm not going to let y'all make this about me. No, that's not even gonna fly. I'm just gonna, let me just, let me just say this one thing. <laughs> yeah, because y'all y'all gonna like talk all y'all gonna get all like extra woke on it this point. You know, whatever. Like, first of all, knock it off. Second, second of all, like if word of mouth, word of mouth of all the world, word of the mouth is the number way, one way that people get information about mm. things, about schools and restaurants and everything else. And if all the mouths you have are not black men in whatever institution you're running, word of mouth is not going to get around. So you can send me emails and put flyers in the kids backpack and send stool pigeons with messages over my house. You could do all kinds of stuff. I'm not hearing about it from anybody else. I'm not answering your emails. Your emails are dumb. You send me like eight a week and they, they're, they're for things I don't even care about. We're changing your janitorial contract. Good for you. Good for you. That's why you're going straight to spam. So if I don't hear other people in my network talking about what you want them to talk about, but women have networks, right? They find out about things that are going on in the school that I don't ever find out about because they're connected to other people, not just because they got some email, whatever. Maybe with you that much, really. Like, I mean, when we talk about like just being around and being being, uh, I don't know what what uh, essential dad's doing in the background. But like, I, I think so. One, like being in the community. Right. Like, so I would see some of the fathers at the barbershop. Right. Like the barbershop was at 60th and Gerard. That's less than a mile away from, from the school. Right. And so like that was, you know, that was there. And I, I think, you know, but just having the relationships, being invited, you know, um, they show up, they say, I see them, they getting dapped up, right? Like they, it is, it's, it's dapped up. It's just like that kind of vibe and, and feel. And I wasn't the only black man in the, in the building. So, so, so Sam, Sam, you're, you're a charter school dad, right? Not to put you on class, but you're a charter school dad. And I know you rock hard with, 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 with the school leader of, of, of your kid's school. Uh, what kind of things are they doing? What kind of dope things they're doing? What kind of dope things are you seeing in Indiana that are like putting men on the forefront and inviting uh, men in schools? I mean, the, the schools that are really doing good about it is they're intentional from the start. So, you know, making you feel comfortable reaching out to different organizations. So I'm also a member of 100 Black Men of Indianapolis. So mm-hmm. at the beginning of every school year, we pick a school where we do a high five round. So that's one way to kind of get guys into the building, make them get comfortable. Now, it's on that school leader to build that, like you said, Chris, relationship to let those guys know, hey, come back. We need to see you more than that. Um, Another school leader I'm really close with, every Friday he has different people from the community that come in and just speak to his students. So finding intentional ways to get, you know, fathers and men from the community in your building, um, that always works. I even go back to one of the daycares that my kids went to. Um, the leader, I can remember him kind of pulling me to the side and was like, you know, hey, I'm going to pull a couple of you guys together. You know, I don't don't quite know what I want to do yet, but, you know, maybe if it's just doing a barbecue or something for the kids, 
Um, you know, we're raising money to redo the playground, so we may need some manual labor to come, you know, help do some things like that. But he was intentional with connecting with the dads that came through the building to say, hey, when I call you, I need you. So that being intentional, that intentionality is always an important piece. You can't just, like Chris said, send an email and think I'm going to see it. Or even send a letter home and think I'm going to see it. Usually my wife gets to the kids' book bags before I do. So if it's not something that's jumping out off the paper or something that's important, she's going to take care of it and I probably won't even see it. But if I'm in the building and you see me and you make a point to say, hey, we have this going, have this happening, we'd love for you to be there or we need you there, that's how you get more men and more dads to show up. Oh, it, it hit different when you when you hear people say, I need you there, right? Like when yeah. someone do it, if, I, if I'm talking to a dad and I'm like, I need you here, like I, I know it goes over different and it's like, all right, well, you know, Ankrum needs me and he's, he's going to call on me when he needs me. There's some other things that can be done that, you know, and we've talked about it in terms of like just being intentional with inviting dads out, right? And so, you know, Chris, you're not wrong in terms of like how education is overly uh, feminized, right? It is. And so, and so in, in, in knowing that we have to create a space or a vacuum in which dads can come in and dads can feel welcome and dads can flourish, right? And so, you know, we've done things like, hey, a daddy-daughter dance, right? And then, you know, there, there are always going to be people that are going to be in the background huffing and puffing and talking about, well, why are you just doing this for dads? Well, the reason why we're just doing this for dads is because dads never get welcomed in the school, right? Right. When you send report cards home, when you send, uh, when you make phone calls home, the first call that you're usually making it to, and I know I can find research to support this, is to that mom, right? But you're not calling those dads with the same energy. So, like, if you call me like, oh, well, Johnny was misbehaving today or whatever, you may call the dad about the behavior problem, Right. But you're not necessarily calling that dad about the academic component or the socio-emotional uh, component, right? And so we need to make schools all-encompassing for dads, bottom line. That's that's what needs to happen, right? And dads, y'all need to be active. Y'all need to show up, show out, and do all the things that you need to do in order to make sure that, you know, folks know that you're there. And M, man, if we got a principal on here that's doing that kind of stuff... You say their name, man. Naptown, stand up, man. We need to know who these people are, so that we. It's, yeah. it's a lot of them. So as we keep talking, I'm, I'm gonna shout them out. It's a lot of them that's doing some really good work here. Yeah, that's what's up. But All right, so, this about yeah. that point though. Just this is more complicated than I think that we're talking about. There's a lot of social dynamics. There's a lot of male female dynamics in here that I don't know that we could do a very good job of just quickly explaining, but I will say this much. Maybe where you live is different. Maybe you have different situations. So I don't want to grossly generalize. It might be different in Indy and Philly and, and New York and versus here, whatnot. But I will say this much. Many of us as fathers, the reason that our wives, when we have wives, are the interface with the school is because there's stuff we don't want to put up with. And we know that if we talk loud or if we hear something we don't like and talk uh, in a way that feels threatening or feels this, that, the other, whatnot, we only have two choices. One, to go all the way with it and to be like, oh, hell no, and, and, and take it all the way to the hole or to kind of try and take it down a notch and feel like, see, this is why I don't come up here and talk to y'all, right? This is this is why I don't mess with y'all. This is why my wife wants to handle all this part of the work because she don't want me involved <laughs> oftentimes because she knows my triggers and y'all one of my triggers, right? Like 
So I don't know if I'm sounding crazy when I say this, but I'm just, you know, I'm just saying it's more than just me saying that it's about feminization. It's also about it's easy for you to hit a trigger and all of a sudden I'm the bad guy because y'all got you because because what you got going on in this building is a hot mess and it's ridiculous. You're blaming my child sometimes. And when I show up, it's a little different than when my wife shows up. When I show up, I'm not here to listen to the bullshit. Right. When my wife shows up, she knows how to talk bullshit with you. Right. So maybe I'm sounding crazy when I say this, but I don't know how you change that in a school necessarily. It may be different in some schools. So I imagine some principals are doing great things and they relate to the people that they work with. And in some cases, they're they're from the communities that they're in and they're a lot like you. I know there's a lot of us that don't have necessarily that particular experience with the schools we got our kids in. Mm. All right, so so uh, we got we we got we have a dissenter in in the, in the audience. Not necessarily a dissenter. She's she's uh, she's dope, right? And so, future Dr. Williams, uh, we all know about qualitative research, and so we have four people, four men that are fathers that are data sources right here that are attributing to a hundred percent of what I'm saying, and we are all in agreement here. So all we need to do is just put this into uh, some written format, and there's your data. So you have a nice rest of the show and uh we look forward to you engaging something specific yep. no, no, I, or, I, uh, no she's just giving me hell um good uh, good for <laughs> thank you dr williams <laughs> future dr williams all right oh um, but so 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 reef Man, jump in here, man, because, yo, Chris, Chris, I mean, I, think, I mean, yeah, I mean, I was thinking about what Chris said, and I, you know, talking about triggers, I think so much of it stems uh, from, you know, unaddressed triggers when they were students, you know, uh, black men were students, right? Like, I don't think it's like, oh, everything was fine, and then they get triggered as a parent. I think there's mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. deep-seated, you know, lineage, and for black women too, but for black boys, you know, um, in particular, that's what we're talking about right now. Um, <laughs> um I, I think that's I think that's a really important piece. And and I'm really trying to reflect because you know, across 26 years, I was only in three schools, right? So like it was long enough to build, you know, um relationships across each one. And and there, there were there were black men involved in in all of them, right? You know, like two of them, PTA president during during some of the time I was there were black men. Mm. Right. And that, and when I would say that people were like, what PTA? Like, hey, you know, and I was just like and so sometimes I have to like stop and really pause and reflect on it more because so much of it was just part of the, my natural uh, being raised in this, uh, you know, in the school, you know, as a as a young teacher who was transitioning um, as a career changer. You know, when I got you know, when I met, you know, the two black men who took me under the wing within the school. Um, you know, they were there in leadership positions. Right. And they were mm-hmm. they were teaching, but they were also had they were on the leadership team. And then when I think about, um, you know, the PTA president, you know, during during the time he was a black man. And, you know, so it's like all of these things, I'm just like, huh? Yeah. So maybe I'm just wondering how much did they inform my practice really early on where this is this is the norm where I, I, I was never in a situation where they were, you know, erased or not there. And so I, I really have probably have to do deeper thinking, like, you know, because you do some things and it becomes it. And it's like the black men is like with the relationship. It's like, oh, I just do it. But like, no, nah, there were some specific things that you were doing that you need to codify. 
and share with others about building relationships, about being welcoming, about this intentionality. Um, and so I, I, I'll, I'll try to think about that more. But that was just that was always the case across all three schools that um, that I was uh, teaching and leading it. Yeah. So listen, so here's what we're going to do. Right. We're going to parking lot black fathers and then we're going to come back to it. We're going to dedicate a whole show to just like black fathers, how they should show up, how they should be welcomed or whatever. Right. I feel like. Just once again, once again, just putting us out in the parking lot. Just once again, <laughs> he's gonna put us out in the parking lot, all behind the school business. Like, yeah, they're gonna marginalize us. Yeah. Even on this yeah. show, we're gonna marginalize our black brothers. Go ahead, hey, man. Go on, on, on with your anti-black go bullshit. We got some things to get to, right? Okay, and so, so folks, if you in the audience, if you in the audience right now, right? Um, you know, we always look at uh at, at the current situation in schools through the through a deficit lens, I feel, right? And so, you know, right now. In, in, in the audience, uh, we're going to do a quick whip around. What's wrong with America's schools, right? Because I feel like we can't really get to, like, the kind of schools that we want if we don't talk about, you know, if we don't talk about, you know, what's 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 going on or what's happening in America's schools that make us want to have our own Wakanda schools, right? So, Chris, we'll start with you, bro. Uh, what's wrong with America's school? Um, I think the systems are broken in so many ways that are specific to us. I talk about it all the time. So excuse me, people, if you've heard this before, but everything from the top to the bottom is rigged. The way that we enroll kids in schools, the way that schools are are, um, organized by boundaries and districts create hoarding districts and education deserts on purpose. It's purposeful. We are gerrymandered into low opportunity schools. And in those schools, the teachers that come there oftentimes, this isn't always, but oftentimes are the least experienced teachers or the teachers that are least ready to teach kids that need that are struggling. Um, We make sure that those those schools where the kids struggle most have the least in terms of resources. Some of those schools have uh, have half of what's going on in terms of opportunity as the district right next door to them when there's other kids that look very different than them. And the kids aren't stupid. The kids go and play football games and basketball games against other teams and see what other kids are getting. And they realize early on that the whole thing's rigged and you want them to believe in it. You want them to believe in the system that they're seeing with their own eyes. They're not dumb. Children are stupid. They know. They, and, and if there's anything that children don't understand, I mean, that do understand is unfairness when they see it. And, and sports is one way that makes it easy for them to see it. I don't know if y'all ever had that experience where kids make you pour the Kool-Aid exactly the same in two glasses, right? <laughs> and and it, oh, he got more than me, blah, 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 whatever. That's because they have an unfairness meter in them that is so strong. And you're sending them the signal that it's okay by keeping them in these schools where it's deeply just unbalanced and they know it, right? All the resources that go in. On top of that, we're pulling teachers from the wrong part of the cognitive pool into a system that doesn't train them or prepare them. And then we're offloading them into districts that don't really need bad teachers. And then we're embalming them with lifetime job benefits uh, and letting them call themselves professional teachers, even year after year, nobody's learning, right? So when you ask me what's wrong with American schools, this is what's wrong with them. The most important thing that you can remember is that something I've said in a million speeches and we'll say it again here. If you want to make sure that black people never reach their full potential, the fastest and most efficient way to make that happen is to demand that we turn our babies over to the American public education system at age five. That is the easy, fastest and most effective way to make sure that black people never reach their full potential. That's what's wrong with American public schools. 
Bro, that's what's up, man. Thank you for that. I know you uh you plugged uh and we we're we're on this whole marketing campaign, right? So like right now okay. you see me uh at choice. <laughs> and Chris Stewart's line of uh, hats and accessories. Essential <laughs> dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh so so but but before before we get to before we get to M, we're gonna jump to M first. Um I just wanted to you you highlighted Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid is now sugar free, right? And so, uh, yeah, Kool-Aid was always sugar free. We, we, yeah, we the ones who put the diabetes in Kool Aid, right? Well, right. <laughs> we, we was always sugar free. <laughs> that's, that's, that's true. Yeah, you're 100 correct. All right, but uh, yeah, so uh, sugar free Kool Aid, folks, uh, to keep yourselves away and keep yourselves healthy. But uh, M, jumping to you, man. What's wrong with America schools? I mean, I, I think what we've seen over the you know past few years is kind of like Chris said. There's a lack of being able to focus on what students really need. Um, there's more of a concern of saving adults jobs versus actually taking care of students, meeting them where they are and actually showing them how to, you know, push through the system. Um, also just the lack of connecting with parents. Um, we talked about, you know, just the trauma that some men have had about coming into the school buildings. All parents have had some type of trauma related to school. So if you don't make that door inviting for parents to come in, they're not going to really come in and say what's going on with their kid or actually try to make that connection with the teacher. And a lot of times you need that for those kids, especially those that are you know struggling, trying to find their way. And this is more about how do we build widgets versus how do we truly educate kids? And I think once we get back to that focus of truly looking and being concerned about how we educate kids, how we build our future, that's when we'll start to see things change, um, especially in our community. When we get back to the village and truly understanding that, hey, as a village, we have to make sure that we leave nobody behind. So even that kid that you see on the corner every day, there has to be somebody in that school building that realizes how to relate to them and how yeah. to actually show them that they can be more than what they're shown, what they're seeing every day, and they can actually be great. But right now, you don't have, really have a lot of those people in every building. Yeah, that's what's up. Reef, jump in here, baby. Man, it's, uh, you know, I, I think both what M and Chris said are, you know, are right on. I see a, a lot popping up in the chat that also captures it. Um, you know, so I, in a nutshell, I would say from policy to practice, you know, the, the success of the student is not centered, right? You know, often these schools were not set up for the children that we serve, the children that we're talking about, um, the 8 million black children and beyond. And so from policy to practice, you know, you have folks who weren't thinking about them, you know, don't care about them that much, don't see a connection to them in the community. They don't have that mindset of uh, training our replacement or educating the the next leaders. You know, they many of them think like, you know what, we're you know, we're going to provide them a little bit, a little bit of crumbs and crumbs meaning whether it's funding, whether it's resources, whether it's actual education. Um, and that's going to be a, just a tiny drop. They don't see their own child um, in there. Um, you know, I think when we looked at, we talked before about the history of education, uh, many folks who were in positions of power said, I don't care about public schools the same way I don't care about public restrooms. And I think that mindset is pervasive and it continues, um, whether it's policy or practitioners, um, you know, and that's that's unfortunate. And I think the other piece that's just massive and massively pervasive is the low expectations, low expectations for the, the children, but also low expectations for people who work with 
black children. It's, it's, it's one thing to have, you know, and then it gets compounded when it's put in the same room. Uh, or if I have low expectations for a student, um, whether I'm close to them or or far away, uh, but then I might even have low expectations for people that work with that student. And that's even more damaging. So it gets compounded in this nasty uh, ecosystem that just chokes the life out of aspirations of, of children and communities that love them. Yeah, man, that's dope. And that's powerful. Uh, one thing I want to add is this, right? So like we see nationwide when it comes down to, uh, to answer the question of what's wrong with America's schools, in my opinion, right? Um, it's like you see, you see teachers unions that, and their number one job is to advocate for teachers, right? And so, like, a lot of these teachers unions, like, we could be mad at them, we could be pissed off, we could be like, oh, you know, they're not thinking about the kids or whatever, whatever, but they're doing their jobs, right? Their job is to advocate for teachers. That's why they're here, right? So, like, every time I get upset with, like, teachers unions or whatever, I have to uh, rechannel my anger and understand that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. That's what they're hired to do. But me as an administrator, I gotta now um, shift my mindset to 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 understand why I'm here, right? What am I here for? Am I here to be? A, am I here to be an additional resource for teachers? Sure. But my number one goal as an administrator, and I hope and wish that every administrator kind of takes on this mindset, is that kids don't have unions, parents don't have unions. And so administrators, writ large, you gotta be the you gotta be the union rep for 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 the families, right? And so that that's that's where I'm at. Like I'm I'm the union rep for my families. And then also um, you know, thinking I hate about that what, point, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> you know why I hate that point? This is why, why I hate that point. Because if you're right, if you're right, if teachers unions are doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing, mm-hmm. blocking learning time for students, blocking the amount of synchronous uh, learning time that kids get, blocking extensions of the school day in the school year, blocking things that kids desperately need so that they can have a fighting chance at the American dream. If that's what they're supposed to be doing, then they don't need to exist. I'm sorry. I don't get to say like, well, they're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing as representatives of teachers. If they're supposed to be blocking things that are good for kids, by law, they should not exist. What do we call people that block the things that kids desperately need to thrive? What's our name for that? I'm outraged, bro. Like, like I've heard this a lot. You know, teachers, unions are doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing for their members. Bullshit. I'm sorry. If that's what they're supposed to be doing, we need to outlaw them bitches. Uh, yo, I get it, and I and, and like I said, I I get your animosity, right? I, I understand it. I, it's 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 an everyday thing for me. Um, but Reef, to your point, man, you, <laughs> you made a point. Uh, you made a point last week. I think, man, you said you were like you were like, yo, we used to come in, and yo, we used to get in the huddle, and and in the huddle, you know, it was like. Mm-hmm. How are we gonna lose our job today? And yo, that's the mindset I got right now, bro. I feel so good. Don't be afraid to be, afraid to be fired. Bro. I feel so good with the work that's being done out here, right? And like, I feel so good with like the leadership umbrella and the things that we're doing uh, in order to kind of offset what what uh, what what's not happening, what should be happening in the classroom that may not be happening in other schools in their classrooms or whatever. I feel so good about it, bro. Like, if, if something happened today. I know that I would land on my feet 
because we're doing God's work, man. Like, you know, out here advocating for kids and, and, and getting busy and, and, and focusing focusing on the day. I saw I saw something going around, man. It said, uh, what the hell did it say? It said, um, you know, you're you're losing teachers and such and such, such, such. You need to focus on the, the well-being of, of 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 the teachers and not the data. What? <laughs> <laughs> the hell I will Are you crazy <laughs> Yo, What about these kids that for, the, for the past uh, 18 months That haven't That haven't gotten Anything uh, That they That they should have been getting The special education students That are That are being uh, that, that are That are being neglected uh, Writ large And then The uh, The E&L students That are not getting The services That they're supposed to be getting But they're still testing them Like crazy like it's still testing these ENL kids like crazy in New York, right? And I know that they're not get, receiving the services that they're getting because it's, it's damn near impossible to do a Zoom pullout room and do ENL to the effectiveness that it would be if you were doing it in person, if you were collaborating with a teacher and and, and, and providing lessons the way that you need to provide lessons. Man, this is absolutely absurd at the way that you know we want to put uh, these kids in the back and put adults first. Hell with that. I'm putting kids first all day, every day. Um, and before we go on with the show, um, y'all need to like and love and and, and share the show, man. We now we 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 taking a silent <laughs> a silent <laughs> pause. <laughs> no, I mean this it's uh and and the thing about it, like I don't you know to to care about humanity, you know, the children and the adults within the ecosystem. And to use data to make informed decisions like, you know, while people want to, you know, juxtapose them and say like, oh, these are, you know, this, uh, you know, false dichotomies. Like, I, I, I think that's part of how you make decisions. <laughs> You're using data and data can be collected in a lot of different ways. What is the, how are folks doing? You know, like how are the children? Right. And how are the if the children are well, that means that the psychology the psychosis of the adult also has to be well <laughs> like there is no healthy child if it's a bunch of sick adults around them and i think that's part of what we have now we have people with sick mindsets around black children they have sick mindsets about the work to do with black children you know they have sick mindsets about the communities that the, that love them and are you know often forced to send them to them right like and so that that piece that level of accountability and and you know, collectiveness, I think, is is absolutely crucial and should be on the on the forefront of, you know, of our thinking. And listen, I've, I've shared this before. Like, I, I agree with Chris. I don't know if that's like I hear like, yes, they're there for, uh, you know, for for teachers. But I I remember resigning from the the union because I thought like, you know what, this is I was invited like, hey, we need you at the table. We need you. You know, I was a young teacher. And so I joined. After, you know, and I'm a young guy and I'm just like, yo, I don't think y'all are centering students like the conversations aren't about students like, you know, what, I'm out, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm out and finding, you know, and I think it was probably right around there that I started, you know, the, the guys that I talked about, you know, um, right that you, you brought up like those fellas, like we started, we were all having similar experiences as young black men in the education system. And just like, yo, we, we gotta, we're going to put our children first and we're going to be pretty loud about it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's dope, bro. All right. So, 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 you know, we wanted to kind of segue into talking about what's wrong with America schools, because we're not necessarily trying to fix what's wrong with America schools. We're trying to blow this shit up. Right. We're trying to blow it up. And so M, 
bringing you in here, bro. Wakanda schools, like what would they look like? What kind of community resources are available to communities? And so how do we start? Like, how can we get it started? And we're going to go through everybody. I mean, so I think when you when you say the word Wakanda schools, those to me, those schools all look different because they're all meeting the needs of that specific community. Um, like I looked at an announcement this past week about um, Earl of Pearl Monroe actually starting a school that's basketball focused, not just like on the court, but actually careers behind the scenes. There's so many kids that want to get into sports, but they understand that, hey, I may not be on the court. They don't understand like you can still make a million dollars actually as a coach, as a scout, you know, all these other things behind the scenes. So actually being able to build schools that meet the specific wants and needs of our kids, of our community, truly connecting to them, um, setting up a way to where the community truly has a lot of, you know, a lot of buy in, a lot of say so about what's happening. Most of our neighborhood schools that we cherish so much go to that school and say, hey, I want to do a block party or I want to start a Saturday reading program or a Saturday basketball program and see what your community neighborhood school tells you. Now go to a charter school in that area, talk specifically to that school leader and and see what answer you get. Two totally different answers. So I, I think when you truly look at building schools that connect directly to the community, meet the needs of the community, meet the needs of our kids. That's a Wakanda school to me. And you guys know I'm, I'm a policy guy. So I think a lot of people agree that, hey, those are the type of schools that we want, but they don't understand the policies that need to be in place for us to truly have those schools. And for me, that policy is the dollars have to follow the kid regardless what school they go to. And I'm not just, when I say dollars, I'm going to stream not just that state funding, but if your local district spends $15,000 per head, that $15,000 needs to follow that kid wherever that parent decides to send you. And you will see a tremendous difference in how our kids are educated, how our kids are motivated to go to school, and honestly, how our community looks. Because once you start keeping those dollars in our community, those that money starts to recycle we start to rebound our community. We start to actually see stronger neighborhoods. It, it all starts with having the right education centers in our community. And they have to me, they have to be led by us. Yeah. Um, Chris, before we get to you, I just want to add some insight to what you said. Uh, um, you're absolutely right uh, in terms of like the money following the kid. But then also, you know, it, it, when the money follows the child, it strengthens education, right? Because now district schools, they have to they have to be aware. They have to present a certain kind of awareness in terms of like how they uh, how they market their product and how people how folks are walking away with feeling about you know what they're doing in schools because now it's a competitive market and now you know it's not just you're going to receive my kid. You now have to compete to receive my kid. So having school choice, I think kind of, you know, it, it, it makes the market fair in terms of like, you know, you having to to do things now in order to be beneficial for kids. But Chris, jump in here. What kind of schools? Um, first of all, I don't want what kind of schools. <laughs> I hate to be a problem child. But uh, 
I want I want authentic, culturally affirming schools that are indigenous to the people that are in them, wherever they're from. Uh, Wakanda is a fictional place made in the Marvel universe uh, uh, for a movie created by two white guys. And uh, and the cast of that movie are the lowest paid of all the Marvel uh, movies. And they tell you about the the underpayment. Chad Bozeman made something like five or six million for his role as Black Panther, one of the highest grossing of Marvel films. Paul Rudd got 40 million. Right. And Paul Rudd is one of the lowest paid. Uh, Chris Evans got 43 uh, million. Scarlett Johansson got 56. Bradley Cooper, 57. Robert Downey, 66. Chris Hemworth, 76 million dollars for Thor. So I don't want Wakanda schools. I want culturally affirming schools made by the people that are in them. And I don't mean to be a, a joy kill because I love Marvel. You do. You do. <laughs> I love Marvel and I love Black Panther and I love the idea and I get what the idea is. So let me not be just, <laughs> but I'm just saying we use the word authentic all the time. Like, like things need to be authentic to people. Uh, especially in education. So in the schools that I'm thinking about, like here in Minnesota, we have lots of charter schools, for instance, that I've talked about a lot that are Somali schools and Hmong schools and schools for uh, for Latino children uh, um, made for them and by them coming out of the communities that they're in because the district, the school district wouldn't honor their culture. Like the Hmong are a good example. They went to the district multiple times and said, we're losing, losing our heritage and our language. And we have grandkids that can't talk to their grandparents parents and we can't stand for it. And the district said, yeah, 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 we'll get you a couple of things or whatnot. And then next thing you know, they have their own schools because the district took too long and drug their feet. I think that should be a, a lesson for black people all across the country is um, um, having schools that are indigenous to your people, where you are locally, honor your history and your ancestors, affirm your kids in their own culture, regardless of what that culture is. You might be uh, Chicano in California. You might be Hmong in Minnesota. You might be something wherever you are. Uh, you need schools specific to you. Uh, and I like to give an international example. Uh, in northern Mexico, uh, the natives, the indigenous people in northern Mexico overthrew the government and took over their schools and elected their own teachers. They totally redid their schools from top to bottom. So now they have an entire system of schools that have been indigenized to their people locally. Same thing happened with the people, the Maori people of New Zealand. I like to keep bringing these folks up because sometimes local examples don't always work for us. Indigenous people all over the world have realized that their kids can't get a good education in the colonial context. We don't think that way because the colonial context is like the air that we breathe. We're like like fish in water. We don't realize we're in water. But our kids are really in colonial schools with the colonial context, with the little Afrocentric dressing here and there and an MLK holiday here and there to like throw you off course. But indigenize your schools. Make them indigenous to, you, to your kids, your needs, your communities. Uh, whether you black, brown, beige, you know, we need all kinds of schools. Let me ask you this, right? Do you purposely no. do this shit? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, do you, do, yo, because like I know these numbers are not just sitting in your head, right? <laughs> like, you, 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 you had to plan this out. You're like, yo, all right, this is what I I'm did not plan it out. I just thought to myself, because I'm a big Marvel fan, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big Marvel fan. I'm still waiting for another Black Panther. You know, it's been a little bit of time. We didn't had, uh, you know, triplets on some other movies or whatnot. But I am thinking a lot about who owns our check, who owns our, our 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 royalties, who owns our paycheck, who owns. And at the end of the day, if we're talking about making education completely authentic, 
we would be talking about Nubian schools and Mali schools and Timbuktu schools and, and Timbuktu libraries and whatnot, um, which are nowhere on the horizon for us right now. Right. Yeah. Now I feel it. Hey, Tedrick Holmes, you in the, you in the comments? We see you. You you guys are building that at Idea Public Schools. Idea Public School or uh, Baton Rouge is one of one of our stops on our on our tour, our upcoming tour. So hit us up. Maybe we could do some uh do a podcast from the Idea uh Public Schools in Baton Rouge. Hit us up. Uh, brief, jump in here, bro. Yeah, man. This uh, wait a I, second now. Let 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 our guests go back in just because I don't want to burn up his concept. I think the Wakanda schools are his concept, <laughs> and I feel like I may have just done my man dirty. No, I don't no. want to do that. I don't no, want to do that. Yeah. That's actually Ray's concept, but you know, me and you talk about this a lot. About yeah. Oh, it's Ray's concept. Well, then never mind it. I don't mind burning. <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I didn't want to burn up your concept though. <laughs> but you know, we talk about it a lot. You know, just being able to build schools that again, authentically connect with the community of culturally affirming, regardless where you come from. So whether it's African-American, whether it's, you know, I'm Italian, whatever school really connects to you, having the ability for that community to say, hey, we really want to take, you know, take charge of the education of our kids. And there's a means and a method for them to do it. Um, one of the conversations I have here in Indy, um, we actually have a, a bill that's called our Innovation Network Bill. So it's only used within Indianapolis public schools, but any district in the state actually can enact it. But it allows the district to either work with a charter organization or a community organization, any nonprofit, to turn around a school or to lunch and start a new school. We've actually had neighborhoods that said, you know what, We've, we're tired of seeing our neighborhood community school be this, you know, in transition kind of failing school, principal in and out of the door for years. We're going to come together and we're going to actually start our own nonprofit and we're going to manage mm-hmm. to run the school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what I want the rest of like really our community to understand and start looking at, hey, how can we do the same thing that this group did? You know, how can we take advantage of, of this and truly take control of our neighborhood school? And I think you have to start thinking bigger than what we've seen. You have to go back to our history. You know, we ran these type of schools pre-Brown versus Board. You know, when you go to our heritage, the heritage that HBCUs were built off of was us actually starting our schools that were birthed typically out of our church, out of our community, where we educated our kids. Mm. And then, like you said, we kind of gave that away. Um I, I get why a lot of us, you know, hold this public school system so close because it, it made the black middle class. But right now it's actually killing the black middle class. So we got to get back to what we know and, you know, start building our own, controlling our own and owning our own schools. Word. Yeah. Uh, Educated Negroes are killing us. The middle All right, class. I'm sorry, go ahead. The, the middle class is a white supremacy <laughs> construct. Hey, uh, Reef, jump ahead. <laughs> Listen, you know, um, however we term it, and this was definitely, uh, you know, I, I take Chris's point um, for real. Like, you know, listen, for me, Nathan Musasa was was it like that. That was a school that was started with, you know, um, black children in mind. You know, a shout out to to them. This is the 50th anniversary of, you know, talking mm-hmm. about like things aging 50th anniversary of uh, Nathan Musasa being established and 
established with parents who were activists and who were conscious, black men and women who said like, nah, you know, not only were they uh, concerned about like what was happening um, to the the brains and the psyche and the, you know, how students saw themselves, but they were also like, yo, and these teacher unions, they're striking every day. So not only giving bad education, it's interrupted constantly. Um, you know, at that time, they were like teacher strikes every, you know, um, every other year, I guess. Um, and so for me, Nathamo Sasa was just, it was that type of environment and the 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 tentacles, like how it spread um, con- conceptually, not necessarily the school itself, you know, like, like, I wish there was a, a Emory back then, you know, mm-hmm. to support a school like Nathamusasa. And that means it would have still been established today. You got Emory right now, though. You got Emory right now. No, I, I, I feel you. I feel and you. you. Got them, <laughs> and, you, and you got them freedom schools on deck. That <laughs> 30, 33 states have uh, 33 uh, thir- uh, folks yeah, from 33 states yeah. uh, wanted to be in your, in your freedom school this summer. Right. Well, we had somebody from Hawaii talking about like I want to be part of freedom school, which is so, wild, you know. Like absolutely. Never, so, so talk know? to us about talk to us about the concept of your freedom school, the birth of it, and how folks in this audience can support. How can we? How we can support to make this be a year long thing? Right, right. Well, look, all right. Well, and right before that, I, I wanted to just connect a couple of dots. So we had Nathan Musasa, right, and which was. You know, uh, amazing. It was an amazing place. If if we were going to use a Wakanda term, I would most certainly use it for a school like that. But then I think about like just the demand. So that was established in 71. In 1967, we had black high school students who were demanding many of the things that we're demanding now. Better curriculum, more black educators, more freedom to express themselves as black children. Right. Um, and the cops were sick on them and, and, and beat them mm-hmm. to a pulp. Right. There's a folks who are not familiar to look up the 1967 black student walkout. Um, you look at the Chicano movement across the country, like what was going to ethnic studies and the same thing now that people are like trying to pass policies to get rid of. It's all in that same kind of consciousness, independent. Like there's some people are saying, like, hey, I want to be have independent thought from what you're trying to uh, force to ram down our throats. And they're like, no, we're going to pass laws to make you uh, take whatever it is that we uh, we give you. And then I think about our team right now, they're writing um, the LCC curriculum. And our curriculum, LCC, we, we named it, it's named after two people. Uh, Caroline LeCount, who back in the 1800s was demanding more black educators for black students in the 1800s. And she said the impact and the difference that they make in black students' lives is absolutely so crucial that we are, that's what she was advocating for, right? And her fiance was Octavius Cato, who is an activist, who was an educator and who was murdered in the streets for getting, you know, folks, uh, you know, helping uh, black folks to vote in Philadelphia. And we're talking about like the 1800s, right? And so, they looked at they were educators, but they looked at it all as how do we craft an ecosystem that's safe for black children? Right. And so then you fast forward this. And you know what? I'm matter of fact, I need to put the we have a unit map I want to share with the Patreon because I did want their feedback. So I'll make sure I, sh- I connect with you right so I can get that in the Patreon. Yeah. Um, because I would love some of our families, uh, more of our families' feedback, um, you know, about that. Like, hey, are these the things, if your teacher, if your child's future teachers were thinking about this before they even got to college, while they were in high school, and they're saying like, hey, I'm thinking about exploring education, here are the things. Because we know in the many teacher preps, that ain't what's happening. They, ain't, they are not, black children 
development is not centered uh, in many of these spaces. Uh, so then when we fast forward to freedom schools, it's really trying to, uh, you know, replicate situations, but it's intergenerational. So not only is it this teacher pipeline, but very specifically, it's like, okay, first, second, and third graders, early literacy and positive racial identity development, community, relationship building. That was the first thing that, um, you know, Chris talked about and Emory talked about. How do we bring that all together? Um, and so I think the opportunity to build on what our predecessors did, you know, when they when they replaced their, when they were training their replacements, they were talking about us, the four of us. And so how are we going to train our replacement um, to, to move forward? That's what's up, bro. Uh, love the work that you're doing. Love the energy that you have uh, with regards to the work. And, uh, and thank you for uh, including the patrons uh, in terms of getting feedback on, on that piece. Uh, looking forward to sharing that with them. Shout out to the patrons. And if you're not a member of of our, our Patreon, uh, you need you need to be. All right. Uh, link oh, you at, know what? Link at the bottom. Yeah. I just saw something that uh, Sister Hinton from Oakland put into the comments. I don't know how this got back by me because I like to talk about L.A. Omade every chance I get. And she had me visit this school in Oakland. Now, what's so funny about it is when I saw Black Panther and, and it was in, it ended in Oakland, I thought about Ilya Omade that I visited in Oakland because it's like in a similar neighborhood where, you know, that takes place at the end there. Ilya Omade is Afrocentric school that is going today that is outperforming the district and is sending black kids in, back into the district at the high school level. And the district can't figure out how they are sending these black geniuses to them. And it's a private, it's a black private school. I think it was started, I want to say by like 20 black families that decided to band together and start an Afrocentric school, multi-age levels, like in one classroom, uh, working on advanced math, through an Afrocentric lens without any uh, stereotype threat or hesitation or uh, I'm not smartness. Uh, kids who approach you, young people who approach you in ways in which is very confident, mature, right? They're walking through the hallways. My favorite thing, the way that I always know that a school is good is when I go to the, the cafeteria and see what they feed the kids for lunch. Yes. And it turned out that the woman, I, I knew I smelled something good in there. <laughs> the woman who, who cooks uh, for them, at least when, when I was there is from new Orleans. Mm. Uh, and she had the Holy Trinity <laughs> chopping up big piles of, of onion and, bell pepper and and uh, celery and was cooking real food at like nine o'clock in the morning these kids the parents want to come eat the food is so good the parents want to come to the school right yeah that's a community now now that's a community that's a that's not just a school that's not just a place you send your kids to learn that's a multi-generational culturally affirming home base for kids that are in a city that doesn't love them and they're walking around confident as hell about what they can do. That, hey, that's what I'm. That's what I'm lacking at my school, right? Like right now, I, I, I'm. You know, I, I go in and out, eat the school lunches, you know, just for the sake of, of eating them because I want to have the same experience as the kids. But I've been in schools that kind of cook lunch. Matter of fact, I've been in schools that grow the vegetables that come in to cook the vegetables. So it's like sustaining right so first line schools in new orleans shout out to them they cook their own food that they grow right um man and and it makes a whole world of a difference 
right? Bro, you're not serving good food at your school. You're from Louisiana. We about I, to I get know. canceled here on air. <laughs> but see, so listen, here's the thing, though, right? I'm very self-reflective in terms of, like, what, what, what we do and what we don't do. And I, and I understand, Long Island five. <laughs> I understand the weaknesses and the blind spots that exist in my leadership, and I'm always trying to do better. And so, therefore, I don't mind being vulnerable on this show. I don't mind when y'all That's eat me up. Because it only helps me get better as a leader. But um, so folks, folks, if you're in the audience right now, you're listening to us, and we can get these likes up to 35. We're gonna give you 10 extra minutes because I got it baked in the show. And so, I mean, if we can get these likes up to about 35 right now, we at 28. You know, we'll wait on you. We'll wait on you. Racketeering. (laughs) He in here about to catch a case. <laughs> this is Ray's big lie. Hey. <laughs> We've been treated very unfairly. We've only got 28. We hey. should have had 30. Yeah, well, we should have, we should have had 50. Hey, listen. Hey, you know, 10 extra minutes is a, is a lot of time when we're giving you the game. Um, and people, people are adhering to the policies that are being put in place right now. You see these lights going up. That's what's up. They want 10 more minutes. <laughs> um, but uh, so, so fellas, before we wrap into our, our final thoughts, right? I want y'all to take your time with this one, right? What are some so what are some practical uh, strategies that we can give to folks that are in these communities vying for community schools, either looking to support these community schools or looking to build their own community schools? And we'll start with you. Practical strategies. All right. First, you gotta you gotta open your mind. Um, a lot of us kind of stay confined in this box of what we see in our community or what we've seen in our community is the only thing that can exist. And then, too, you got to get out there and research and see what some of these other schools are doing. Um, like, I love to bring folks to Indy because there's a wealth of schools that I can take them to. You know, what Robert Marshall is doing over at Vanguard, the intentionality he has about actually reaching and connecting with his kids. Uh, what India Johnson is doing over at Thrival Indy, um, Rick Anderson at Alicia Prep, um, what Dave McGuire is doing at Tinley. I want David to actually launch his own separate school away from Tinley and actually don't see that, how don't say that, don't say that. that goes. Don't like, say that. <laughs> you know, what these school leaders are doing, one, we have to support them, but two, we have to bring more people inside to see these differences, these things that they're doing, because they're just touching the tip of the iceberg now. You know, I'll, I'll go back to funding and policy. Like you said, these schools are beating traditional districts and they're not even getting the same amount of money as traditional districts. Imagine if they got the full amount of money and you know, the sky's the limit because they are built intentionally to serve our kids. They came from the communities that they're in. They know exactly what our kids need. You know, they, they understand them and they're, they're getting that advancement with, you know, scraps so imagine if they had the full funding to truly live out the dreams of their mm-hmm. curriculum. You know, I'll mention the school that my kids go to, you know, Nigina Livingston and um, Urban Act Academy. You know, Nigina actually said to me one day, she was like, you know, we're, we're just doing enough to get by with the funding that we have. Like we haven't even really got to like the full expensive, you know, reach of my dream of what I can really see the school being in this community. So imagine just being able to unleash that, you know, fully let that expand. We can have this happening all across the country because we have some great minds, some great school leaders. Um, even in your backyard, you know, Dr. Steve Perry, 
Um, that's my guy. What he's doing up there is tremendous. What Tim King was doing in Chicago is tremendous. You know, you're his school leaders and teachers that, you know, may crack on the way that they do things, but they're intentional. And if you can't get down with the program that they have, you can ride. And I have no problems with that. You know, I think if more school leaders were able to kind of do those same things, we probably wouldn't probably wouldn't be having this conversation because our schools will be operating a lot a lot more efficiently. But I'll take it back to the funding, but also something as a community we need to understand is policy. Um, I will always say this policy isn't the sexiest thing, but policy is what allows us to do the things that we need to do within our schools. If we understand it, we're able to actually build out the schools that we truly want for our community and actually find the resources to ensure that our kids can get in those schools. So we have to understand, you know, policy mechanisms, how to make them work in our advantage, how to write them, and really how to push our legislators to how to understand them and fight for it. That's what's up, bro. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Chris, jump ahead. Practical takeaways. And we, hey, we won, hey, we are one like away from the goal. And so, <laughs> Chris. That's a damn shame. That's a damn shame. You out here like begging for likes like Sammy that, Davis that Jr. It wasn't a dance. It's a damn shame. Just, just click the like button, damn it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, practical things. Uh, I like what Emery said. All of what Emery said to me is is really important. I think the, the major word here is support, though. Like we have had an education reform movement. We've had education choice movements. We've had all different kinds of ed movements. But the kind of movement we haven't had yet is when people, adults with something to give, show up and say, what can I do? So you have people like David and others that are running schools. The operative question for a good citizen a good citizen, a citizen that has something to give. And oh, by the way, everybody has something to give. Like this isn't a rich man's game or a poor man's game or you all, you have time, you have resources, you have skills, you have things that you know that you're doing in the world. And guess what? Those are all the things that uh, successful schools need. They need support. They need uh, skills. They need community wraparound. And I don't mean in terms of uh, nonprofit industrial complex type of wraparound. I mean, real people. Like we talk about the village figuratively all the time. The village, it takes a village to raise a child. Blah, blah, blah. blah. Well, the village is sick sometimes. The village is out to lunch sometimes. The village is having barbecues and, you know, falling down the rabbit hole as I do on world star hip hop, you know, and and getting involved in everything except for supporting (laughs) support. Support. We can't have good brothers out here like, you know, uh, good teachers like, you know, and and educators like David and Tim King and everybody that uh, 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 Emery mentioned, Margaret Fortune out in California, who's a force of her own. She's not just running schools. She's running a teacher training program and she's doing advocacy on behalf. She's like a one woman movement in herself out there who has to sometimes stand alone. But why? There's 40 million black people in the United States. There's only 8 million black children. If we can't stand in support of our children and the systems that serve them and reward those of us that are doing the the good work of educating kids with our time, our money, our resources, our social power, our organizing skills, man, kind of people are we if we can't do that, right? So maybe we start a school support movement instead of a school yakety yak talk talk movement. Uh, you know, maybe you take a little bit of your budget 
and you say every month I'm given, I'm creating an ancestor fund. The ancestors care deeply about every one of our children learning all that they needed to learn to beat back an incredibly inherently racist world. So I'm going to create an ancestors fund and I'm going to speak on behalf of them by resourcing something every month. I'm going to resource uh, Sharif's Black Center for Educator Development. I'm going to resource his the families that get uh, his service for free through the Freedom Schools. I'm going to resource David on something field trips for his kids. I'm going to make sure that every kid gets a field trip. I'm going to clear out all the lunch debt for a school because sometimes that lunch debt is only a few hundred dollars, but it's it's making it so that kids are eating cheese sandwiches, nonsense like that in yeah. you know 2021 in a free country. But I'm going to give something. Right. I have something to give. We all do. Everybody listening to me right now does. So maybe that's part of how we get the schools that we want. We support them. It's way, yeah. you know, I, I saw somebody mention Rosenbaugh schools and I shouldn't say somebody because if somebody mentions that in our comments, it's probably Curtis Valentine. Absolutely. Right. Love you, brother. Uh, but Rosenbaugh schools, I mean, black folks had to rub together nickels and dimes and quarters to get those things built. We talk about Rosenwald funding them. He funded a third of them. He didn't fund the other two thirds. One third was local government and one third was black people pulling together nickels and pennies and, and quarters. We could do the same thing today. 100%. Uh, Most Most yeah, I mean, I, I would say, you know, very similarly, um, I, I love what everything that, that was said so far. You know, shout out to, you know, I, I appreciate you, Emory. You know, it seemed like every show it comes back to Philly. Um, so I'm glad you, uh, every guest gives Philly a shout out. I'm so glad you mentioned Earl of Pearl Monroe. Um, I did not know that he was, uh, you know, starting a school. So that's, you know, that's, that's dope. And so I would say, if you can start a school, if you can band together, start a school, great. If you can band together, start an after school program, a detox center, uh, you know, there was a local brother, Akil Parker, um, I remember a, a year or so ago, it actually was longer than that, but I remember it was some renewed energy. He was like, you know what? The kids are struggling with math. Like, and that's inexcusable. All the, the uh, folks I, who I know are, are brilliant mathematicians. We need to start in a, a Saturday math uh, program, math academy, you know, um, for our black youth. And I don't know where it is. You know, I need to reach out to them to see like, you know, where that is, but it's things like that. He's, you know, he's, he's not Earl Monroe, but he's like, Hey, this is, this is, I see a need and this is how the village is going to show up. We're bringing all the black mathematicians that we know and our kids aren't going to struggle with math anymore. Right. And it's the same way that we were looking at and other folks, Dr. Aisha Mani, Dr. Greg Carr, uh, Sister Erica, Isaacoye, when they started, you know, freedom schools in Philly and then started Philadelphia Freedom School, adding a high school component. All of them were groups of of individuals who worked in a collective and said, we're building something for our black children. That's what we mean by building something with them in mind. Everyone's talking about backwards mapping. Backward map from what do successful uh, communities have? They have great educational ecosystems. That's that's what they have. Um, and it doesn't have to be the school itself, um, although that is absolutely should be part of the goal, but it should be the educational ecosystem. What are all the ways that folks are leaning in and starting 
and launching, whether it's, you know, after school programs, during the school, if it's pre-K, whatever it is, whatever you can have a level of autonomy, start there um, and, and you know, begin begin with it. When Charlie Cobb wrote that note, they didn't, SNCC didn't always have Freedom School. Charlie Cobb said, you know what, we can do something. We're working with the adults, getting them uh, registered to vote. But you know what? Their children and grandchildren are suffering from uh, sharecropper education, or as Bob Moses, who passed away recently, said, "You know what? This is a Jim Crow schools. We addressed Jim Crow in at the lunch encounters, but we didn't address Jim Crow in these schools." So, we'll be our be the Bob Moses. <laughs> you know, uh, start the algebra project. Start. You know, band together with Akil Parker. Be Charlie Cobb, start a freedom schools, like whatever it is that we can do to elevate this, the education and the safety of our children. That's what we have to prioritize. And so I appreciate, I appreciate everything that was shared already. Yeah, that's what's up, man. Hey, so this has been an amazing show. Uh, again, Ed Choice, right? Uh, two cups of wine for my homie Charles. I know he's going through it right now, so I definitely wanted to uh, celebrate and bring out wine, Ray. Wine, no Ray. Uh, <laughs> for, uh, for Henny Charles, right? So, Charles, yeah. hey, Charles, shout out, bro. We love you. We miss you. Uh, looking forward to you coming back next week and, and, and rocking with us uh, in our prayers. Uh, so, we'll wrap into uh, closing thoughts. Chris, we'll go to you, then we'll go to Reef, and then we'll close out with M. So, uh, Chris, final thought. My final thought is uh, love that we come together every week to have this conversation, brothers. Uh, and uh, peace to my brother, uh, Dr. Cole, wherever you are right now doing your thing. I know you need it tonight to actually reset and uh, and to ground yourself and just have a good moment. So good for you. Emery, brother, thank you for always bringing us together. Uh, Emery is, is a focal point now within this movement. Uh, I try to be a connector and I think connectors are a good thing. Uh, Emery is, is turning into an Uber connector, bringing people together across state lines in different places for a, cons- a positive conspiracy for the elevation of our children. So I love it. Let's be in positive conspiracy with each other. Let's get these 8 million black children in education. Let's get these parents a choice an option of the who, what, where, when, and how of education. We got to stop letting people define for us, especially the wrong people. Isn't it weird that the very people that are the least justified by history to have any type of authority over our children's education are the very ones who want to have all the say. They want to tell you what our kids should be getting. They want to define it for us without us because they know better than we do. When has that ever worked? That ain't never going to work. Knock it off. That has never worked in history, is never going to work. So take yourself, take your children back. Reclaim the the, the black mind. Because right now, honestly, these unions and, and these conservatives are foreclosing on the black mind together. It's a joint project. The left wing and the, the uh, white wing, the right wing of the white bird, both wings are flying the same bird. The more they flap at each other, the more that bird stays steady and keeps flying right along. So they are foreclosing on the black mind right now nationally. You better wake up, grab your children, show them you love them, take that head back. Anyways, thank y'all. Please y'all have another. This guy. All right, uh, Reef, jump in here. <laughs> Save uh, us. Listen. Uh. <laughs> Uh, Emery, thanks. Thanks again, man. I, I echo everything that um, Chris said. Really appreciate you. You know, from the time I met you, you've been centering, um, you know, 
what liberation could look like, you know, um, what what working in community with others, what it could look like, what it should look like. Um, we got together uh, in New Orleans a couple of weeks ago um, with those Urban League fellows that you had. Like that was one of the, you know, um, one of the highlights of, you know, of the summer for me, uh, just seeing these these, uh, you know, these folks from around the country like, oh, yeah, this is we are we are uh, elevating and prioritizing education. You know, we're coming from all walks of life, but this is this is what our priority is going to be. This is the banner that we're flying and, you know, we don't care. Right. And so being able to connect them and, you know, allow us to, you know, uh, be a part of that, you know, and all the other projects that you're, you know, that you're, you're doing, um, I think it's just super, you know, it's just super important. Um, secondly, you know, shout out to, uh, Mama Sarah, um, Charles Cole and everyone who's, you know, who, who are just losing, you know, um, our loved ones, right? Like those are, those are community members, like in everyone and we're all connected. And so every time like we're in, uh, you know, feel like sometimes we're while we're doing this work, we're also in um, perpetual grief and mourning, um, you know, and that that's a, a, a constant thing. And so, you know, our self-care and the need to prioritize the just the overall safety and, and love that's ne- necessary to elevate all our, our work and our success and particularly our children and youth um, is absolutely uh, crucial. And then lastly, uh Stuart brought up the Maori people. Um, I, I would encourage folks, Chris. I hope you, uh, you know, can put that in there. I don't know if it's in the regular uh, the chat. People should look at that. I had the the privilege of meeting, uh, you know, one of the kind of their version of Secretary of Education at one point a few years ago, um, and hear her talk about um, the need, the urgency, and it was just like, you know what. This is an international issue. This is why Malcolm said, no, it's not just about this. It's a human right to educate our children and to educate them well and make sure that they are leaving whole. You know, not Mm -hmm. assuming that they're coming to us, um, you know, jacked up. Many of them are leaving the educational system jacked up. They Mm -hmm. came they came whole. They came feeling love. They came feeling like, oh, people love me. Then they get to our, our schools and realize like. Oh, no, maybe people don't, <laughs> you know, maybe I'm not worthy of that love. Maybe that's all a figment of my imagination. Um, and it's not something that children should have to aspire to be, to be loved. That should be a human right of our children. So thank you all. I appreciate getting together every, every week, but in this community, um, not only folks who are on the panel, but folks who are in the audience, especially. That's what's up. M closes out, baby. Yeah, I just want to thank you guys for, you know, the work that y'all do, man. Y'all are bringing this conversation to the masses and, you know, bringing it in a way that the community needs to hear it. And, you know, however I can support you, you know, I'm I'm, I'm there to rock with you guys. And as you're building out this tour, man, I'm excited for it. But I also want to give you guys a challenge. Um, people need to see you know, the inside of these schools, the inside of this ecosystem, how it works, how it looks, so they can believe in it themselves. So, hey, how, how can we take the eight black hands live from these schools during the school day so they can see the intentionality that we're talking about? You know, they can see these new programs that are being built by great minds and then realize that, hey, we can actually do and build the same thing in our community because until we unlock the minds of some of our people, we'll always stay in the same boat. 
So we got to figure out more ways to kind of continue exposing them to what's happening in the small pockets across the country to where we can reach all of our people. Yeah. That's dope. Hey, so listen, my final thought is this, right? Uh, I want to uh, keep in our prayers and our thoughts those folks that are losing people um, for whatever reason, uh, gun violence, um, COVID-19 Delta variant, uh, COVID-19 no Delta variant, uh, just everybody. Because, you know, you're, you're connected to somebody that has lost somebody, right? And so, you know, we want to make sure that Sunday, you know, is a joyous occasion where we're celebrating life and we're celebrating each other or whatever. But, you know, we also want to uh, remember the fact that, you know, not everybody is in a place to be celebratory. And, um, you know, we want to make sure that we are doing the things that we need to do in order to support the people that need to be supported. So, fellas, I appreciate y'all allowing me to have two cups of wine in my Ed Choice cup this week um, and, and, and thank you audience for getting our likes up uh, Dr. Bill Conrad yes we met the uh, the, the uh, quarter for likes this week and so uh, we're looking forward to engaging with you guys next week thank you for kicking it with us you slurring yeah a little bit a little bit you have been listening to the 8 Black Hands podcast with Ankrum Cole El Mecky and Stewart. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at 8BlackHands1. Thank you for listening.